So as an overview, so this will start to reinforce what I just said as that, that initial preamble. So property and planning have to consider resources with respect to place and its connection to other places, you know, especially when we looked at like say neighborhoods and housing, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, you, you look at the idea of a city as a place or as a neighborhood as a place, we often see that as a whole entity and do analysis of, of those places as whole entities. But when you throw into the mix infrastructure and especially transport connection, you can start to connect physical places. So it is very much about placemaking in, in, with regards to planning as in, in terms of um, uh, looking at plans and looking in, into, into future, uh, future places. So it's all this, this connectivity idea and how connection can pour physical attributes, but also pour actual economic attributes. You know, you can port finance and you can you can port resources between places. You know, the very active, you know, human resources, you know, we started to introduce the course about, you know, capital resources, human resources, natural resources, just the very fact that you've got a train, you are porting human resources between places. So hopefully you can make that that um, logical connection, if you pardon the pun. So it's um, infrastructure is very important in the mix here. And that's why we sort of you know, give this, this whole session towards ideas of economics and finance within infrastructure and, and drawing on some of the ideas that we brought in last week in terms of tax increment financing as one tool of value capture mechanisms. Uh, so, yeah, as well as place, it's obviously all about people that we start to introduce there in that sort of mobility of, of, of human resources. Uh, and by making these sort of new mobility opportunities, this this we can touch on some of these economic ideas that we've already started to um, be heavily involved with, you know, ideas of efficiency, you know, hopefully that's sort of quite clear in everyone's head what we mean by efficiencies and inefficiencies uh, when we when we deal with the built environment. Um, externalities, these, these aspects that are external to the market and the nice easy in there is things like pollution or noise or, um, uh, yeah, whether that's sort of, you know, uh, in terms of a view uh, or whether it's in terms of sort of audible issues of, um, of property development, uh, economic growth, which we touched on and, and economies of scale. So where you're getting sort of more bang for your buck. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll move into that when we, when we talk about the connection of place, you know, by, by having places better connected together, there's going to be essentially a greater sum than the parts um, because people, you know, that the, the, the whole entity, you know, for instance, if you improve the transport infrastructure of Auckland, you're going to get a greater economies of scale for Auckland as a whole. So there's a nice sort of tie in there in terms of economies of scale. And then this other idea of natural monopolies that we that we touched on a good few weeks ago in terms of, um, you know, why, why markets fail. And, um, you know, one of the reasons markets fail is because monopolies and you know, when you think about infrastructure, you can't have lots and lots of in infrastructure providers because there'll be hundreds and hundreds of roads out there that might be all privately charging people to use their roads. So infrastructure tends to sort of sit in economics in, as a sort of a natural monopoly um, in that, you know, it's better to have one road um, that's controlled by a, you know, a larger entity, usually, you know, a government provider. Um, um, which sort of makes uh, the, you know, the economic condition of an, of an infrastructure piece not 
normal to like a, a you know normal consumer good so there's that natural monopoly element to what we talk about uh, in in infrastructure you know i've talked about road and transport but you know remember there's ict information communication utilities you know connection of water uh, electricity um so there's there's a whole heap of different um infrastructure uh, considerations that that we need to bring into this um but effectively you know they're, they're going to have some sort of natural monopoly and and made more complex because there'll be things like the uh, the actual um the capital infrastructure you know the building of the the road um uh or the uh wastewater pipes if it's wastewater we're talking about um but then there's the actual using of these um uh particular pieces of of infrastructure so there's the actual charges and hopefully you picked up from last week ideas around you know people use the infrastructure there's a user charge so there's will be sort of capital costs as well as um um you know pnl uh, profit um, profit and loss considerations um in terms of uh, expenditure and, and costs that, that are incurred on a on an annual basis not the the wider capital uh, costs so yeah there's um yeah, several considerations there really in, in infrastructure and capital um, considerations as well as well as the um, expenditure expenditure considerations. Uh, so, I mean, one of the big things that will come out from the from the conversation here is the uh, the infrastructure finance gap, and this is sort of a, a global concern that there's been all this um, development being built out in terms of say housing development, but infrastructure is sort of been left, you know a lot of um, uh, private entities private organizations that have generated a lot of income we could say use the example of housing providers you know that you know quite could quite easily build lots of properties on the outskirts of a town for example but what about all the infrastructure that connects to those um, those properties that are building out of town I'm using that as a sort of a micro case study and if you sort of scale that up you know the the amount of funding that's needed um, is is uh, quite astronomical, and you look at sort of the the billions and trillions of dollars that are needed in terms of infrastructure. This is a pretty hot topic, you know, especially when we'll sort of um, bring to light governments that are more strapped for cash, um, you know, the the rollback of the state and the amount of public money that's available is limited. So there's been a, a more of a move towards, well, how else can we finance infrastructure if it isn't just through the public purse directly, you know, through you and I paying our taxes that we talked about last week. So attention's moved to ideas of innovative instruments, and it depends what we mean by innovative. And, um, you know, it could be, is it innovative because it's new? Um, is it innovative because it's using a different type of funding mechanism, um, such as a bond, for instance? So there's this idea of traditional instruments and, and new innovative instruments that, that we can explore here. And I think some of the ideas that I've brought forward here are, you know, pretty, pretty much on the cutting edge of, of where a lot of um, um, you know, practical considerations are around the world. And certainly transit oriented development, TOD, um, as an expert export in terms of concept from the united states is is pretty much transplanting itself all around the world so it's hard not to avoid ideas around transport hubs and transport connectivity um, and the development of that transport hubs and, and connections to generating more value um, and uh, as well as sort of generating development value and value sort of radiating out from transport hubs 
uh, it's sort of the rationale is, is, is endorsed by the environmental benefits. If people are um, moving around more efficiently, that's not going to, uh, yeah, that's going to create better environmental uh, outcomes, less negative externalities of pollution, etc. Um, and then also there's other sort of place-based concerns that can be factored in uh, around these transit-oriented development. Things like that come to mind are things like affordable housing. If you've got um, future value that's being generated, you can maybe um, uh, redistribute some of that value to uh, cross-subsidize uh, and create things like affordable housing that might be less than market rate. So, you know, there's, there's a real interesting sort of social environmental benefit that can be um, extracted from some of these transit-oriented development approaches. So that hopefully is something that you know you can you can see is is, is pretty new to um, to a lot of thinking of, of of old. It's not just a case of infrastructure provided by the public sector, and that's where it starts and ends. You know, there's a lot more nuances to it. So we've got a whole heap of slides, and I'm going to just sort of give some edited highlights um, during this. Uh, I'll do it over yeah an hour and a quarter, I'd say. Uh, and this first bit's all about infrastructure funding and finance. And some of this is, um, yeah, as I said at the start, it's sort of very technical theory stuff, um, but hopefully I can give you, give you some, um, some ideas here and, and reinforce some of the points that I've just uh, put forward um, to start with. Um, you know, as I say, infrastructure projects, you know, they need a lot of upfront capital investment. So it's not just the running of the infrastructure, it's like, you know, laying of the pipes, the laying of the rail network, all those sorts of things. So to, to finance these things, they usually need vehicles that are uh, over long periods of time. So finance that is long burning um, and low, uh, you know, tend to be low interest rate um, in terms of you know, being able to generate a, a long-term cash flow as well, because they're over a long period of time. Um, and, it, and a lot of these things, I think the other key there is it's, it's this uncertainty, isn't it? So it's building in a lot of risk. So as well as these investment vehicles, these bonds having an element of risk, you know, infrastructure in general has a, an element of risk. And if you're thinking about future values, the future is uncertain. You know, you don't know what's going to happen in terms of the economy, interest rates, um, political risk, um, infrastructure risk, institutional, political risk, institutional risk, financial risk, all these different sort of risks that are going to be born of of the future because the future is uncertain we can look back at the past and use data from the past but we don't know what's going to happen in the future and because infrastructure is over such a long period in its development you know say if it was over five ten years uh, that exposes itself to, to greater to greater risk here we sort of um yeah still sort of giving overviews of the importance of looking at infrastructure funding and financing and I think when we mention countries such as China and India, in terms of um, modernization, you know, the, the, the example that comes to mind for, for you guys to have a look at is, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, something worthwhile uh, Googling at a later point. And you, you can look at the scale of, of how infrastructure has been um, given a lot of attention and a lot of economic clout so the belt and road initiative is one one area where you can sort of see this <laughs> in its you know at its maximum sort of global scale in, in development because i suppose sort of to add to that you know if you were um you know, developing a, a top-down um growth strategy for a, a particular nation it's always amazing and more and probably interesting that 
it's always the the airports and and the, the road connection the infrastructure connections that are that a lot most of the um financial energy is put into to start with because it's that enables that growth to happen so um infrastructure tends to be key for growth uh, for some of the points i mentioned before about sort of um levering future value um but it can also be as such a such a macro uh, and, and at a large large scale so and because it's at that sort of large scale there's that second point there that you know some of it might have to be done you know beyond national governments alone you know that belt and road initiative that i mentioned you know is covering you know several countries uh, to try and uh, uh, create a, a greater economic value for, for for all of the nations involved and all the financial institutions that are going to be uh, putting putting capital and resources into that is um is um yeah very pertinent so scale is important then if we're dealing with uh, infrastructure and infrastructure finance the gap that's there certainly needs to be met um why has this become to the fore well post gfc um there's less public sector funds arguably and um you know a greater look towards other uh, sectors to provide funds yeah such as private uh, private markets private equity markets um So yes, so there, there's that uh, that need to explore alternative routes and, and what, in some instances, we refer to as um, you know innovations in um, in finance and infrastructure. So some of this is sort of covered really. You know, modern infrastructure is a precursor to successful property development. Yeah, that's why I was talking about you know how and why nations put a lot of um, energy and effort into airports roads you know those big big projects to try and stimulate economic benefits um yeah i think that sort of tends to cover cover most of the points there as well i think there's a a nice connect to, to last week's ideas about um tax and spend these fiscal considerations and there we we start to look at user charges, so the use of particular uh, pieces of infrastructure and, and those charges there uh, to maybe pay back some of the capital or pay back some of the operational uh, uh, costs. So there's a, there's a need to look at the sort of the financial architecture of these things. And when we look at infrastructure, there's ways in which we can carve this up into sort of the design, the build, the financing and the operations and and it's how they all interact and and how we sort of consider the, the different um uh, ownership structures in, in each of those different uh, components of um, infrastructure build out um so this is sort of essentially looking at uh, private infrastructure charges that we're starting to see i used that example last week about the milldale example north of auckland and and how a, a you know a, a public private partnership consortium can uh, effectively you know, provide a, a private infrastructure charge um, but enforced and guaranteed under certain local authority uh, rulings so um, so there's this certainly a good example there of, of new ways to, to to finance infrastructure through uh, particular consortiums that, that effectively privatizing infrastructure And this um, can be seen ad advantageous to some local authorities where 
traditionally it's been central government control over infrastructure projects you know here we see local governments being able to partner up with other developers and other um, uh, property institutions to be able to provide infrastructure that it would not necessarily be able to provide on its own so so there's sort of this idea that well there's funding that can be generated at a more localized level and more um um meeting the needs of um yeah meeting the local needs that are probably more um grassroots with which uh, they they know what needs to be provided uh so that sort of sits in with the you know the a move to more to more sort of de devolved uh, governance levels of, of providing infrastructure but a lot of this as we sort of ended on last week it, it depends on the you know the amount of um cap rates you know the capital rates that um local authorities can borrow uh, up to um so there's there's certain uh, restrictions on on the amounts um a local authority can borrow particularly if it adds risk to the the profile and if things go um south and things go bankrupt it can affect credit ratings and things like that so um so there's lots more complexities to that uh i think the final point on that particular slide is we we covered i mean i've just used the examples there of tolls toll roads taxes and metered user fees but i think we we covered a lot of this um in the in last week's session which is uh, gives us a bit of a head start um, and here we're talking about um, distinctions between funding and financing and sort of in my initial preamble I think we start to make that distinction funding in terms of uh, the money that's generated from uh, creating a bond uh, or the direct money that's come from a public authority or money that's come from a consortium that's the funding uh, for a specific project you know to buy the bricks and mortar for instance and then the financing of this is is, is how it's paid back over time whether it's you know through a, a percentage of the of uh, whatever the bond's worth uh over say 20 years for instance so it's important to just make that distinction um between you know the funding of infrastructure and the financing of infrastructure um so yeah as that second point says funding is the allocation of the cash flow to support the construction operation of an infrastructure and you know as we as we looked at last week things like just general taxation user charges and, and value capture instruments so yeah on this slide we're starting to um be more mindful of for what what particular costs can be uh, um, attributed to infrastructure and we've started to talk about place so if you're using a user charge of say a toll road yeah that's certainly of place but it can be also attached to person in terms of say income taxes that we're talking about and i think what's missing off that is also things you know so you can tax petroleum for instance that you know, could be used in a, in a fund to, to support uh, infrastructure, um, you know, transport infrastructure needs. So this this idea that funding can be drawn against personal place, and I'll probably add to that, you know, things as well in terms of um, goods and services. So there's ways in which the architecture can be sort of built out to, to pay for particular infrastructure pieces. And um, this is always going to be an uneven development choices and decisions going to have to be made you know where this infrastructure uh connects you know where it connects from and to 
and whether it's meeting any sort of social needs, whether it's meeting any sort of efficiency needs, is it more for commercial needs? So there's this imbalance and, and ideas of even and uneven development that need to be considered um, within the within the application of um, uh, the funding and financing of um, of infrastructure. You know, is it is it particular? Um, overheating areas that need to have more infrastructure funding and financing or is it more struggling areas and you know they're the things that sort of start to, to fit within um, uh, the public sphere in terms of um, public financing and you know, sort of, yeah starts to filter a bit more into ideas of, um, of politics but another key key area and we see this in housing as well as this idea of financialization how not necessarily just how we fund and finance it, it's how the infrastructure itself is becoming an asset class. And I think that's what the large amount of financialization conversation uh, that we talk about here. Uh, so just be mindful of this idea of, of infrastructure being becoming a new infrastructure class. It's um, a, a new asset class. You know, we often see sectors like residential, commercial, industrial as, as asset classes. Um, yeah, things like real estate investment trusts, all those sorts of things, but infrastructure sort of being a, a new new vehicle to actually um, uh, generate uh, finance. And, you know, people invest in and trade in uh, infrastructure vehicles, uh, investments in infrastructure. So that sort of plays a part in the picture as well, especially because they're, you know, slow burning over a long period of time. Um, you know, with which people will make that decision whether to invest in these infrastructure, um, um, uh, these vehicles and infrastructure, rather than investing in, say, government bonds or putting it on the roulette wheel. So I think that's a nice um, sort of consideration here that we need to talk about in terms of uh, financialization and the, the asset class of, um, of infrastructure that, that's part of it. And I think when we talk about... Um, infrastructure bonds towards the end of this conversation you will we'll bring that out a bit further so this this slide sort of brings out this idea of what's what's traditional what's innovative you know or, or what's a, a combination of the two um so it's just sort of bringing out those those clear-cut you know taxes uh, and fees and user charges that we talked about previously all them that tax table that we talked about last week in terms of estate taxes or uh, land value taxes all those sorts of things you know they're sort of quite a traditional instrument whereas these newer sort of bond-based finance um, components um, can see can be seen to be a little bit more innovative in the way that they operate and effectively sort of engaging with the private finance market to be more to be more innovative um, and in some projects, it's a combination. So you might have sort of various different, you, know, you might have a, a set of bonds as well as some sort of um, uplift of land, land value capture as well. So uh, they're not often one or the other. They can be a blend of these sort of different um, traditional and innovative approaches. I think to just sort of, in this slide, just it just sort of re re-emphasizes well, uh, what we mean by innovation, you know, things that are new with regards to sort of being a bit more imaginative and creative and ideas based. It starts to sort of 
a fit more around the sort of um theory-based considerations of, of, of what innovation is uh, more broadly um but i think it can be innovation in, in terms of um um a leap into the unknown but it can also be an innovation in terms of how it's applied so something might be quite innovative in one context in maybe in a geographical context say in the united states um, um but not innovative elsewhere so you know for new zealand which often tends to be behind the curve in terms of trying out sort of new experimental policies you know ideas of tax increment financing for instance or some sort of project bond uh, would be perceived as innovative because it's just not been used within this particular context before uh, but the you know the underlying principles are the same so yeah in essence you know we're, we're exploring here well what we mean by innovation in the first place so it's probably going a bit too um, academic in but hopefully it's sort of generating this idea that you know people are trying to uh, find new ways to fund and finance infrastructure given that there's such a massive infrastructure funding financing gap and um, no public funds to be able to to meet that gap so um, yeah that comes with obvious risks that, that we mentioned before so more sort of definitional terms i think um is that 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 second point uh, that second bullet point is quite a nice way to describe what we what we mean by sort of more innovative approaches these you know it could be a solidarity mechanism and what that means is you have a guarantor so it could be local government national government who guarantee certain payments so that that's the idea of solidarity to, to support the mechanism because you know despite public uh, institutions maybe having less public funds to to provide for infrastructure they certainly have uh, regulatory power and uh, you know facilitating power and the ability to act as guarantor that's um you know very important to reduce risk uh, and create certainty and economics often sits within ideas of certainty doesn't it in terms of you know whether something's valuable or not you know to having some sort of certainty to it the other one being these catalytic mechanisms you know the ability for um uh, some sort of fund uh, generating uh, more funds that would not necessarily have been created without putting that fund in place um you know and i used that example last week with tax increment financing in terms of you know it's only uh, deemed worthy of um, uh, going ahead with a tax increment financing policy uh, if, if it adds value that would not have been generated without uh, or but, but for the the, um, the money put forward through a TIF project. So it's, it has to have some sort of catalytic um, uh, mechanism to it, you know, a, a way in which it can add value that would not necessarily have been created without um, the funds being put forward. Otherwise, you, know, you make the argument, well, why don't you just leave it to the market that's increasing? You know, if it was increasing value, the market would do that anyway. Uh, so, so that sort of solidarity mechanism, catalytic mechanisms. And there's also um, ideas around um, uh, risk bearing packages. So, you know, the, the, the fifth point down there in terms of, uh, you know, a blending of public grants with um, uh, you know, with with wider investment um, packages that that you know, share the risk as, as part of the, um, the the funding provision. Um, so there's some some argument there for um, it's uh, yeah a blending of sort of you know direct deadweight public funds as well as sort of private uh, private uh, inf uh, private investment funds.
And what it's not is pretty much what this slide's about. It's so it's not talking about uh, an innovation in the actual financial product. So there'll be a lot, you know, you, I'm sure you've all heard of derivatives and various different complex uh, financial packages uh, that, that, that are used within financial institutions themselves. We're not really talking about that. So we're not talking about you know, derivatives, hedge, you know, hedge funding type models uh, or cryptocurrency models. It's, it's more about um, innovation in infrastructure finance, not necessarily financial innovation and, and ways in which you can make uh, and repackage finance um, and, and add different risk elements to it. And yeah, as, as we've highlighted there, you know, a derivative type package. Um, so it's more about the infrastructure and how you can make infrastructure work to develop better financing and funding. And it's all geared around what it's backed against, you know, just as a house is you know, an asset that's financed is backed against. And if you don't pay for it, you know, the, the house is at risk to be um, foreclosed. It's the same for infrastructure. So knowing that you've got a big physical piece of road or pipe, um, you know, you've got something there that can be backed in a clever and innovative way in terms of its financing and funding. So that's what makes it different to the actual financial package and the financial mechanism um you know in a, in a more sort of banking uh, sense so that's sort of just describing that it's it's not that so here um we're talking about how debt finance um becoming uh yeah, well, debt finance yeah, initially sort of sitting within that traditional set. If you wanted to borrow money from the bank and the bank wasn't involved in the, the project at all, that would be um, you know, a debt to the bank, debt finance. And you know, post-GFC, we seem to have seen that fall away. You know, banks in the credit crunch and less credit being available. They've seen more of a shift towards um, people looking for... Um, yeah bonding type sort of approaches uh, and also sort of equity as well so we see a lot more um, equity um, from um, big financial in institutions like in insurance companies for instance being able to provide some some equity into projects you know as well as as, as well as the, you know so equity finance as well as the debt finance um, and then you know here um, we're seeing some other just examples here of, of you know um, clever, innovative sort of funding and financing approaches, um, uh, things like conduit bonds, which are another type of traditional debt finance, you know, where, the, where the government issues bonds to finance a managed project um, it, you know, within these special purpose vehicles. Uh, and these special purpose vehicles will, will hold a, a combination of different um, uh, ownership qualities, you know, whether it's a non-profit, private company, or governmental body. So, uh, so these conduits sort of, uh, are ways in which you can package up uh, bonds that are managed by multiple institutions. So, it's not a public bond, it's not a private bond, it's not a not-for-profit bond. It's a it's a bond that's connected to a a joint uh, jointly owned uh, project that might be. Um, the project might be a piece of infrastructure or it might be a wider uh, spatial project a big uh, regeneration project in a, in a particular part of the city so yeah that's um, sort of bringing forward the idea that you can you know bonds can be attached to multi-institutional vehicles you know these special purpose vehicles so it's not just a, a tool of the of the public sector 
<clears throat> so here we're just sort of yeah talking through a few more of these particular different types of innovations um we talked about the catalytic effects and the book four tests um you know i think this raising that second point that you know these these bonds and um ability to um, um finance new pieces of infrastructure that would not necessarily have been developed without um uh, without this type of funding it generates um yeah markets not only that um down at heel but might not have existed at all you know so it might be a connection to a whole new say greenfield site in the middle of in the middle of nowhere um so it's sort of generating new markets not necessarily um markets that that, that are struggling as well so um yeah you're actually creating markets so it's sort of um interesting when you think about creating new markets that you can't even make any argument for market failure or market inefficiency because they're a market that weren't there in the first place so um so that's sort of an interesting sort of ability to to generate new markets from these uh, particular infrastructure funding and financing innovations um mentioned there about uh, enterprise zones that we can look at one of the big um sort of more more fiscal sort of approaches of LIHTC, low-income housing tax credits I mentioned there. Um, that's more of a guaranteed type sort of innovation in terms of um, uh, governments giving credits if, pe if uh, people buy into this particular scheme. Uh, yeah, they can tend, tend to be a mix. And that's what this particular slide looks at really. And I mentioned about how equity provision uh, is becoming a greater uh, part of the mix you know beyond just debt finance you know for instance borrowing directly from a say a commercial bank pension funds being part of the mix and it's um, you know greater proportion of equity starting to be put into these uh, particular projects um, and you know naturally the the industry evolves and certain specialized banks you know, play a part in in being part of the industry of, of infrastructure provision and, and the financing of infrastructure provision uh, i mentioned REITs before so you, know, you might have a, a hotel you know a hotel commercial property real estate investment trust uh, and in a similar similar way we're starting to see uh infrastructure as being one of these uh, particular investment trusts you know there might be uh, a suite of different infrastructure projects uh, that are lumped together and could be um, invested on on the stock exchange effectively and so it's just reinforcing that idea on the final point that you know they're, they're investment vehicles in themselves and going back to that point how infrastructure becoming a, an emerging asset class that, that's been invested in but arguably under certain economic conditions, you know, whether it's low inflation, low interest, uh, low interest rate environments where they're going to thrive more because, because they are long-term investments, you know, keep saying sort of 20, 25 years where they're naturally going to have a, have a low, um, a low return rate, which can compete with, um, you know, other, other vehicles in, in that, um, economic environment of low interest rates and and low inflation so changes in in those variables might see these sorts of um, infrastructure bonds becoming less attractive um, as, as those as they change um, cover most stuff there um, 
And this is starting to, to bleed into more uh, ideas that we'll talk about further on in today's session about um, space of projects and place of project, not just the infrastructure itself. So that's why we look at these acronyms, um, special uh, assessment districts, communities, facilities districts, accelerated development zones, all these sorts of uh, fancy acronyms are basically looking at how infrastructure can uh, improve place and, and add value to place, uh, not just necessarily the infrastructure itself. Um, so this is sort of how our zoning can, can play a part in this, this infrastructure mix. Uh, and then sort of reiterating those initial points that I made at the start about transit-oriented development funds that can be part of the mix as well and uh, can certainly pay back some of those infrastructure uh, provisions um, you know, if they're bonded, for instance. Uh, so hopefully we're sort of um, yeah, circling back to what we talked about uh, last week. Uh, local asset-backed vehicles. Um, yeah, that sort of other types of innovative financing approaches. Um, you know, and these you know, effectively consortiums looking at areas and looking at how we can uh, revitalize physical pieces of, pieces of infrastructure over a long period of time. And it's all essentially, as I made that point about, it could be backed against a house, it can be backed against infrastructure, all those bits of physicality and place and land and buildings. Um, enable that local place to have an asset base that can leave a finance and generate more more cash to invest in more development. So, so yeah, it's worthwhile sort of, um, considering these local asset-backed vehicles as, as another approach in terms of how things can be uh, levered, finance can be levered, cash can be levered. And then also, you know, if these things are built out, they can be leased back as well. So there's, there's ways in which you can start to sort of blend some of the um, uh, the clawback of, of revenue once these capital projects have been built out. This slide starts to uh, talk about private finance initiatives. Um, can be thought about in two ways. One is a policy, which it was used in the UK um, for a a long period of time. I use that in the past tense because it's not really a policy that's effective anymore or, or in effect anymore, should I say. Uh, but the principles behind it are, you know, are worthwhile considering for uh, projects around the world. Effectively, we're looking at well, how does private finance play a part in public projects or infrastructure projects that are largely public in nature or, you know, I use that ideas around natural monopolies, you know, to what extent can private finance play a part in um, uh, initiatives that involve infrastructure? And, you know, there's, there's a whole heap of um, uh, conversation and um, discussion and, and critique, both positive and negative, uh, regarding when it should be used and when it shouldn't be used. Um, so, um, you know, fairly controversial in, with regards to those that you know feel the public sector <laughs> capital expenditure should should be pretty much within the, the public sphere but there's arguments that in different parts of the uh, the process you know the design build financing operations um you know the financing component can potentially be tendered out to a private private um, uh, financing company and then there'll be sort of draw-ups of you know well, how much um you know how much profits should be extracted uh, for the private uh, you know those those privately invested in these particular projects and um, and, and also uh, sort of 
draws into ideas of you know PPPs, public-private partnerships. This is the, the financing of those public-private partnerships, and, and the private amount of financing is, you know, what happens you know, towards the end of these um, these projects in terms of you know if it's a public project and it's returned back to the public, um, you know, what what financial returns are given if it if it starts to become a liability at the end of the project, you know, if that bridge or that road is you know. Um, uh, not fit for purpose anymore and it's more of a liability so it's, there's lots of sort of um, economic financial legal considerations of you know how long that that piece of infrastructure is um, being financed for and you know at what point the the private uh, finance component is um, is withdrawn uh, and the again these are sort of yeah you can see some examples there pfi you know particularly in the uk lots of lots of projects that um that have been used you know, on a mass scale where public money couldn't be um, utilised in the argument, you know, I suppose the political argument being, well, this piece of infrastructure wouldn't have been built at all if it wasn't for any private money. Uh, but that comes with a risk and that comes with some sort of um, consequence uh, that needs to be um, thought through in terms of the, the deals that are done uh, on behalf of the public. You know, even to the extent, you know, that final bullet point there was you know some pfi housing estates that were being built out you know with with private money uh you know social um, public public housing that were done via private money so obviously quite ideologically contentious but arguably one way to to build social housing uh you know socially operated housing uh, that would not necessarily have been financed if the public couldn't afford it so it's sort of an interesting way in thinking about public housing provision uh, as a byproduct of this idea of infrastructure you know, on a large scale so yeah these are some of the, the points that I, I raised you know, in terms of you know, critique and um, praise of, of this particular approach you know the assets concerned may remain with the supplier for a long period of time you know, it might be over you know, 30 to 40 years so you need to consider about you know the transfer of, of you know, ownership at certain points in the in the development cycle um, so it's the you know, design and the operation that's important not just the uh, not just the build <clears throat> here's some sort of points in in favor of this sort of private financing approach things like uh, Encouraging more efficient private enterprise that's arguably lacking in, in public enterprise, uh, keeping down of taxation, so you know, less crowding out of the public sector in these projects. Uh, there's, there's certainly arguments in favour, and it's, it's, it's matching the, uh, the benefits and the value for money uh, of, um, of what, what the private sector brings and what the public sector brings to these, these particular models and, and um, connection between different institutions and and using private finance within these multi-institutional approaches so yeah and that final point just to say well okay pfi as a policy is is no more in uh say in the uk for instance uh, but as a as an idea and as a, a principle you know the idea of private finance in infrastructure as we're looking at here is not going to go away is it and it's always going to be a part of you know the the conversation uh, to provide uh, infrastructure when there's such a, a big funding and financing gap um, and that's um, some of what this slide is talking about in terms of 
other wider considerations of um, how we finance infrastructure because it's over a long period of time. We need to be aware that there's going to be a lot more shocks that it's exposed to. So if it's over 20 years, you know, we've seen a global financial crisis, um, a global pandemic, for instance, over that, you know, these longer periods. So, so there's a bit more risk uh, with regards to infrastructure uh, because of that uh, long developmental cycle that's involved. And we need to think about sort of regional impacts because infrastructure covers a large geographic geographical space there'll be winners and losers you know, so there'll be an uneven um, development and uh, uneven um, advantages and disadvantages that, that, that are generated you know depending on where that piece of infrastructure is placed um, so yeah and it needs to be set within the, the context of other asset classes as a as i talked about before whether it's sort of residential commercial or um yeah or even other investment vehicles so to conclude on this particular piece yeah infrastructure funding and finance you know it's not um doesn't necessarily increase the availability of public financing but it's you know essentially i'd argue it's to stimulate more private private finance um you know that investment is going to be welcomed uh certainly in terms of uh, generating infrastructure that would not necessarily be generated and and meeting um, this uh, infrastructure financing gap that that needs to be met, and uh, we, it sort of turns its head to alternative, innovative ways to um, generate funding. Um, and bond finance is is one of those sort of direct, clear uh, ways in which the, they're they're being brought into the mix of where infrastructure wasn't in that space before. Um, and when we're doing that, we need to start building in risk. You know, if you're looking at project bonds, it's an investment vehicle and there's, there's risk um, uh, that's going to be intrinsic to, to these bonds because they're, you know, they're, um, they're, you know, they're exposed to the, to the private market a lot more. Uh, and for those other reasons that we just talked about in the, in the previous slides in terms of, you know, say, political risk and you know, risk to, to wider um, you know, global shocks and all those sorts of things. So, so it does sort of change, change the landscape a little bit more, but it certainly um, creates a, uh, the opportunity for, for many institutions to, um, to join into the infrastructure space um, where traditionally it's been locked out. 